Blog Talk Radio. Just on the show. 
when you add all the podcasts, we're going to be pretty darn close to 200,000 listeners. This show's not even two years old. I can't thank you enough. It, it, the show is just its own life form. It's not even my show, it's y'all's show. I could sit here all night and rattle and y'all wouldn't care. But y'all come back and you, you listen to the guests, you get their product, you get a, they get a following on the show, and I appreciate it so much. And, and Australia, thank you. Because you guys are the biggest listening base on this show. Australia's listening percentage is 93% on this show. And with that being said, I want to say thank you to the Teske Brothers because they are a blues band out of Australia that if you haven't heard them yet, you would swear they were right on a corner of Bourbon Street. They they sound like Johnny Lang and Eric Clapton and... B.B. King and Otis Redding all wound up in a nice tight package. So if you haven't heard the Teske Brothers, go and listen to them. Just look up the Teske Brothers. You'll find them everywhere. Now, for those of y'all who are interested in being on the show, because we're heard in over 100 countries now. So if you're interested in being on this show, there's two ways to do it. If you want to come on for an interview, just Email me at offthechainradio at yahoo.com. We'll get you set up. But if you're kind of leery, you know, well, 200 people sound kind of scary to me. I don't want to be nervous. You can place an ad, and I'll run it for 30 days from the day I get it. No matter how many shows I have, I will run your ad. And that brings me to a corporate sponsor we have. It is Cece Chamberlain, and she has a little podcast called Inside Your Life with Cece which is a motivational, passionate conversation. Conversation. Cece interviews people who are living their true purpose, whether it be a professional boxer, an author, or a history enthusiast. She really strives to give you, the listener, hope for a brighter day with her inspirational words. I've been on her show, and when I got off of that show, I felt that I was on top of the world and could conquer anything. So download, subscribe, and listen as she guides you to pursue your dreams and for you to live your best life. This wonderful show is available at podcast.com under Inside Your Life with Shishi. It is also on iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere where podcasts are available. So ladies and gentlemen, this is Friday night. It will be our last show for the week. And next week, on Wednesday night, I'll be doing a show for an hour and a half, and as we get toward the end of this show, I will tell you about it. But I want to jump right in to tonight's guest. He and I have been dancing back and forth about getting him on the show, and I thought I was going to have to send the State Patrol up there to get the information that I wanted from him because I would send him notes and he'd have brain cramps and forget. I mean, the man's busy. He teaches college, for crying out loud. So I can forgive him for that because he teaches my favorite subject, which is history, behind criminal justice. I mean, that y'all know that's my best favorite subject in the world. But author Terry Maggard, he is the first time with us, but I can guarantee you it will not be his last. For one, one reason, the main reason, the man is left-handed. And as most of y'all know, <laughs> your kind host is left-handed. So you've got two geniuses. <laughs> On tap tonight. <clears throat> He's also a father of an apparent nudist. Now, that one I will have to delve into. He is husband to a half Norwegian. He is herder of cats and dogs, a lover of pie, and he writes books. 
He's had an unhealthy fascination with dragons since the age of, well, probably since he was a wee boy. He's a native Floridian, but he decided that he loved the mountains. But it's like we were talking about before the show. You can take the boy out of Florida, but you'll never take Florida out of the boy. I bet he still goes barefooted in the snow. His location is subject to change based on insurrection, upheaval, or coffee. He's that easy to please. He's written ten books and counting, and he has no end in sight. And after we talk a while, you will see why. So you've all been warned. Welcome, Terry. Thank you for coming on the show with me tonight. I can't wait for us to get started. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's uh, I apologize too for brain cramps. Um, <laughs> that was my fault. That was entirely my fault. So. We all have them. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I live in a fairly permanent state of them. So, well, I do too. And seeing my husband's taking radiation for basal cell carcinoma, we just got over colon cancer, and he decided he was going to try basal cells see if he liked it any better. So we've been going to radiation every day for the last. Millennium, it seems like so. <laughs> you know, it just it happens. But you're here now, and that's what's important. Yes. So, with that mm. being said, my left-handed brother, <laughs> tell Very, me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know, we think we're the right side of our brain, right? We do, and I also one of the things I tell my students is that we're statistically more likely to die in an industrial accident. So uh, if anybody asks ever, if anybody ever asks me why I'm not out there running forklifts and everything, I say it's not that I can't run a forklift. It's just that I don't want to end up as a smear on the floor of a warehouse because I zigged when everybody else zagged. So well, and and it's funny you should bring that up because I worked in a warehouse and I did drive a forklift and I cut off I the end too. of my right thumb driving a forklift. Oh, I switched to. I'll tell you. I'm so I, I switched to I, my wedding ring is titanium, but I have a a, a rubber wedding ring that I wear uh, silicone. I have like a ten pack of them, and um, I wear that if I'm working with equipment or anything like that, just because I don't want to end up, uh, you know, as nine digits. So um, <laughs> I understand yeah. that. I do, and but you oh, know yeah. the world is the world is built for right-handed people. It is entirely. That's why I think I actually, my sister and I are both left-handed. And I think that the vast majority of the world is designed for right-handed people, but that forces us as lefties to be a little bit ambidextrous naturally. Mm -hmm. And I think certainly we're wired that way. And I know it was an advantage for me as a kid playing sports because I would show up and they'd say, you know, like to baseball practice, I'd show up and I'd say, well, I, I want to be a pitcher. I can't break a pane of glass, but I'm left-handed. And they were like, congratulations, you're on the team. So it, <laughs> it has its advantages. Um, and then, of course, if you're trying to write in a notebook, it has its disadvantages. But what the advent Great. of keyboards, now I don't worry about smearing my entire side of my hand blue well, the, by when, when halfway through the day. Started, when I first started using computers, of course, the mouse is built for a right-handed person. Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, and that was the yeah. I'm dangerously close to being old enough to get a discount at Denny's. So I remember when a computer mouse was so completely awkward for me that the temptation was to not even use it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I 
want to know about how in the world you went from being a beach kid to going to Tennessee, writing books, teaching college, buying a bar. Was all this in your your plan the day that you were born? Oh, no, no, no. No, I I don't (laughs) think I've – oh, that's one thing I'll never be accused of is of having a life plan from a certain point. But my dad moved us around. Um, My dad was was with the Bell System. He came back from the service in the 60s, and he was a phone man. And in, in um in the sixties in Florida, which was the the days when I mean he was a hog farmer from Iowa who had never been around, you know, Florida and suddenly he was in places where there were spy, banana spiders the size of his hand and my dad had freakishly huge hands, so you know how big the spiders were and um but we actually I mean I've moved I lived in New York for eight years as well. But oh, when my. I say New York I have to clarify, I lived in way upstate upstate New York. And my dad moved us up there on December 27th of 1981. So when, you know, I mean, imagine you're a kid at the beach and you move up there and it was such culture shock, but in a way it was amazing. I mean, it was my mom's hometown. It was up near Rome, New York, um, just a beautiful area. And so I was up there for several years, went back to Florida and then moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, 22, uh, 22 years ago. And I've been now Bowling Green is just about 20 miles from where I live right now, and I love it here. Um, I'll probably never leave, but I you are very very generous to even use the term planning at all because <laughs> that's that's not a word that I've ever been accused of holding in my uh, quiver. So, but but don't you? I plan. I have to keep a planner because of my husband's illnesses with doctor's appointments and the shows and everything, but. Sometimes it's just fun to say, I'm not planning today. Whatever happens, happens, and see where it takes us. Because I don't know if it's because we're artistic or we think with the right side of our brain, but things seem to happen when you don't plan your life out, and it always seems to happen for the best. Um, well, regarding books, yeah. I mean, I can't argue with that at all. I didn't. I loved, I mean, I loved writing. I was an art major when I went away to college. I was going to be an oil painter. Um, And then I realized that I wanted to eat. (laughs) So, um, and I mean, in full disclosure, I was also asked to leave college. You know, I had like, I had a grade point average that was lower than my body weight, which is, (laughs) which is saying something. So um, I, when I went back to school, I was in my, oh gosh, I was near 40 when I went back to school. And, of course, that time, you know, you're an adult and it's your money and you're more serious. But um, planning for – I didn't plan to write books, but at a certain point, how much I loved writing as a kid and wrote an 1,800-word horror story. And one thing went – you know, it just is sort of this formless kind of flowing with it. Um, and before I knew it, I had 88,000 words in a novel. And I think I just I think as of next month I'll have my thirteenth novel done. Wow. And um and I and I can't and I still can't quite wrap my head around it because um I have so many that are on the books in or in you know, that are fleshed out as ideas 
I don't know if I'll ever get to write them all. So, um, but I didn't, I plan them only in the sense that I have more ideas than I know what to do with. And I want to talk uh, about that, but first we got to pay the bills. So bear with me, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back with author Terry Maggard. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? Are horses your new best friend? Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or visit quinnwildlifeart.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree. It's a hoot. And Winona, the lovable narcissist from the Woman's Cave Podcast, inviting you to join us in person or streaming at the Inspirational Women in Literature Conference on March 17th. Get tickets to the conference, buy our books, or watch the TV show Just Right in Life at andwethought.com or thewomenscave.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade. Former Boston PD Captain Stanford Carter and his wife, forensic scientist Jill Seacrest, have decided to move to the Big Apple to accept positions with the New York branch of the FBI. Rookie agent Shania Deeprose completes the trinity as they collide head-on with raging and rampant social, political, and economic unrest amid a string of murders that seem unrelated and may be serial, copycat, thrill, or hate-driven as they struggle to understand the mind and thought process of the orchestrators, killers, and victims, the team begins to wonder who's who. The line between black and white, superior and subordinate, right and wrong, and good and evil disappears as they are forced to reevaluate their own thoughts, feelings, and philosophies. Ultimately, every character must come to their own conclusions to these questions. Is justice ever more important than the law? Is playing God justifiable if it's for the greater good of all? Come along for the ride to see if Agent Carter will decide to stick to being a hunter or become judge, jury, and executioner instead. Find the answers to these questions when you read the new book, The Killing Collective. The Killing Collective is a character-driven story with big characters with depth. They're soul-searching in addition to the biggest case of the agent's careers. The Killing Collective, available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback editions. Order your copy today. Back here at Off the Chain with my guest, author Terry Maggart. Now, in all of your non planning, <laughs> <laughs> what possessed you to buy a book? That's a very nice, that's a really nice term. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it fits. What possessed you to buy a bar? Was this before you decided to write, or was it after you oh, decided yeah, yeah, yeah. to write? I was, yeah, I was, I'm from a, I'm from a, well, I am from a family of bakers. Um, my grandpa came back from World War II and he, I guess, you know, through a 
series of events, wasn't sure what to do because he had given up a great job like many people do during World War II. They give up, he gave up his whole life. Um, and he came back and he went to my Nana. And it's a poignant story in our family about how he reached this decision. But they borrowed lumber and built the pie stand, which was uh, up in Rome, New York. Um, and they cooked hamburgers and hot dogs and they became known for their pies. So they expanded over the next, uh, gosh, 25 years to three locations. And I got it honest. I mean, I had, I had to reach a decision at a certain point in my life where, what are you going to do when you grow up? That kind of thing. And I'd been, oh, I'd worked as a roofer and worked for Blockbuster Video and retail and, you know, all the things that you do. And uh, ended up coming up to Bowling Green, Kentucky, and I bought a pub. And um, I love that I did. Um, you're married to the building and it's restaurant work is, it's not hard work. I mean, it is hard work. It's not hard work like working concrete or, or, you know, being a shipbuilder or something like that, but it's on your feet, you know, 15, 16 hours a day. And, um, but through this chain of events, you know, here I am 20 years later, I don't regret it at all. I loved that. I did it. I did it for years. Um, but now what I do now is for me, a lot more satisfying. And I think it, what possessed me to do it is it was in front of me. I was 26 years old, 27 years old. And when you're that age, you're immortal. You think you could do absolutely anything um, and you're not going to die. And um, you're capable of making anything successful. I certainly thought that way. Um, And so I did it. And I actually Looking back now, it was a fountain for me. It was a fountain of experiences and friends and things that I carry with me. And now I can look back at it fondly and not feel the stress of owning it. And um, So here I am at this point in my life with that as a, I guess, a catalyst for some of what I write about. But as to and, the and reason so why I did it, it stories. was because I could. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's so many stories from the, oh, the oh, regulars oh. that came into the pub and their lives. Oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You know, writers are, we're by nature, we're observers. We, yes. we, we look around and see people and everything. And if you ever want to see people, buy a bar. I mean, just buy a bar. Or I have another suggestion for anybody. I've always said, if you want to learn how to be humble and simultaneously entertained, go work retail and work at a returns desk because you'll see the absolute best and worst of humanity simultaneously for eight hours a day (laughs) and all in between oh and every every possible permutation of it um on your shift plus and not just not just in personality and attitude but in dress in movement oh everything the whole the whole nine yards I, some of my most, some of the characters that I've written that people connect with the most that I get, I mean, I get fantastic emails because somebody reads your book. First of all, it's amazing. It's it's never going to get. I'm never going to get over the fact that somebody wants to read something I write. I love that, and I because I love books so much. Books are my first love. Um, uh-huh. I've been reading since I think I was four. So. You know, it's the longest relationship I've ever had in my life. We're 45 years and counting. But my the characters that I've written that people connect with, they say, I've met that person. You know, <laughs> I, I, 
I know Annalise Wimple. I've been to the bank, and the lady was mean to me and rolled her eyes and, you know, had makeup applied with a paint gun and, you know, hair <laughs> that was sprayed within an inch of its life, and she was mean to everybody and ruled with an iron fist, and they're like, yeah, I've met her and everything. So I, 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 I'm, most of my experiences came with me. I've just kind of carried them with me and mined it for ore to build these people who I hope are three-dimensional and very familiar to you. And you also now have another layer to add to your quiver of characters because, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this wonderful human being teaches my second favorite subject <laughs> at history. Of course, y'all all know my first love is criminal justice because that's my degree. But but those two really, Terry, can go hand in hand. Very much so. Oh, yeah. Well, my, my field was military history, and my undergrad Ooh. was religion. So, and, and, of course, there's such a Venn diagram of, of overlapping between religion. I always say to my students, I draw a dollar sign and a cross on, on the chalkboard, and I say, here's the two reasons for war, money and God. And you can you right. very often draw back. You know, you can pull back the curtain and find that the real reason for a lot of it is, is those two reasons. Um, and I, this is my fifth year of teaching. It was something that I came to later in life and love it. I absolutely love it. I teach at a local college here, um, and I get a lot of non-traditional students. And I was a non – you and I were both talking. We were non-traditional students. Um, and another thing that you said that really resonated with me when we were off air – is I would go back to school right now if I could. If I, if I thought that I could take a class specifically in, you know, just the Crusades or Ooh. specifically in the life of Buddha or I, something that interests me, oh, I'd absolutely go back to school But um, because I'm never going to get tired of the experience of being a student. And, and the, the experience of learning, I never get tired. I'm sitting here looking, and I'm in my studio, and in my, in my studio I have bookcase after bookcase of research books. I never get oh, tired yeah. of learning. No. No, I don't. I, that's a constant. Isn't it interesting that we live in an era where, you know, where Kindle came out and they said Kindle's going to kill print books? And I remember laughing. I said, Kindle is a convenience, and I love it. But mm-hmm. – um, I have a love affair with books that goes back prior to the Kindle, and we're never breaking up. No, and so we're not the physical either. sensation of a book is something that will that will be a constant in my life for as long as I'm here. And I'm and I want to make sure that I say I love audio books too, but for an entirely different set of reasons. Um, I love audio books because it gives me a chance to get introduced to characters in a different way. Uh-huh. And I, and, and there are performers who are just so unbelievably good. And you listen to it and you say, this really makes the book three dimensional for me. The reason I read Tim Dorsey now is because my husband and I were in the library looking for audio books and we had listened to everything in the library except this one. And it was um, hurricane punch by Tim Dorsey. And I looked at the back of it and I said, let's get this one. It sounds interesting. Well, now, 
I am a fan of Tim Dorsey. He's one of the funniest writers I've ever read in my life, and he's from here, and he writes about places here. And his main character is Serge Storm, who's a serial killer. But he's hysterical. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he only, well, he that, only kills it, bad guys. Oh, so he's, a, he's yeah. actually a garbage man. Okay. Yes, he is a garbage man. I'm winking but right the, now, but I'm not entirely disagreeing, so <laughs> no. <laughs> but he but it was because of an audio book because whoever read that particular book, like you said, made Serge Storm a three dimensional character. And and I laughed yeah. I didn't quit laughing in the car. It's a good thing yeah. I wasn't driving. <laughs> no, I know. I well I run. <laughs> I run during more. I run more in the summer. I, I'm a hot weather runner, and um, I, audiobooks are my are my candy. They're they're um, I, I consume them at an alarming rate, and I travel of course with books. Like I think I'm going to do 17 events this year or 18 events. I'll be signing you know across the United States, and so a lot of them I like to drive. I actually enjoy driving. I like the act of getting in the car, getting coffee. I like the concept of travel because I traveled a lot as a kid, and I think it just resonates with me. So I'll listen to audiobooks, um, and I'll listen to them, you know, for hours on end. And I don't—it's not hypnotic for me; it's enriching. And um, now, if it's funny, I actually, you know, certain authors for me are just absolutely hilarious. I think that if in talking about the craft of writing, writing humor to me is almost the highest skill that you can have. When I read somebody who makes me laugh out loud, I, I want to send them a $10 bill and say, here, get yourself a cup of coffee, <laughs> just because it's so difficult to do. Well, see, and that's the same in stand-up comedy. That is the oh, hardest gosh, yeah. thing to do because you've got to know when to throw that punchline in, just like in writing. You've got to be able to know when to throw that punchline in so that you just take your reader completely off guard and they just they fall out laughing and they go, I cannot believe they <laughs> yeah. threw that in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are certain uh, – I don't know if you've ever – there's a writer named Lisa Lutz who writes the Spellman Files. I laugh when I start reading that book. By the second page, I'm laughing, and when I finish it, I'm laughing. And, you know, it's a 277 page or whatever. It is her, – her comic timing on the written page is so good that I can't even – it makes me a little bit angry if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> like occasionally I'll read somebody who's so funny or I'll read – I felt the same way when I read certain authors. I'm like, why are you so good? It makes you a little bit, tiny bit disgusted as a writer because you're like, oh, man, how is, this is a beautiful sentence. Or this is just him, a gorgeous <laughs> vignette. A tiny bit, a little bit. I'm not saying I'd run him over with a car, but I'm, I might clip him with the door, you know, if I'm <laughs> – so, um, yeah, there's just a few that are in that inner circle where I read them and I say, wow, you're good. And, every, and the good part is I've gotten to meet some of them. And so I have this, you know, little fanboy moment where I go up and I say, hey, uh, you know, I'm not in here to sell you insurance. I'm actually a writer, and I want to just compliment you on whatever title it is. So that's kind of – that's one of the side benefits that had never occurred to me, that I get to yeah. meet the people I admire. And and doesn't that – when you read that book that just makes you salivate with oh, yeah. the enjoyment of reading it, doesn't it make you want – to become a better writer, 
doesn't it push you it in is, the direction even absolutely. harder? It's a it's a clarion call to excellence. It's yeah. I don't want to say that shame is – I mean, it would be reductive for me to say shame is a powerful motivator, but <laughs> because I don't feel shame, but it's certainly a challenge. You know, like you open up a book like – you open up anything by Tim O'Brien or um, – well, Lisa Lutz, actually. I mean, there are so many good – I was actually reading something uh, two nights ago. I'm reading something by an author I'd never heard of, and we're friends on Twitter. Her name's Tosca Lee, so, and I love historical fiction. So I open it up and I read the first sentence and I just I thought, well, I know I'm going to be up till 3 a.m. Right? <laughs> because I I could already tell how good she was. So um it is a, it's a challenge. I mean, it's like ringing a bell. This Pavlovian reaction I get where I sit down, brew a pot of, you know, triple caffeine coffee or whatever it is I'm drinking that day, and I tell myself this page is going to be better than the last one because I want somebody to feel that way when they read this. Um, and it and isn't, I'm not saying it's, it isn't an aggravation. It's a good kind of hurt. It, it's like a, um, a good spring rain. Yeah. Or pushing on a tooth when it's loose. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it's going to hurt, but you know there's a goal there. <laughs> It's only going to hurt yeah, for a minute. <laughs> only for a minute, and there's a goal. The goal is in sight. Is it worth it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it yep. is. And, I and think I your truly... analogy was a lot nicer than mine. You had a spring rain, and I had temporary <laughs> debilitating pain. So I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, see, that, that's the way I feel when I read um, Tim Dorsey and um, Janet Ivanovich. And oh, yeah. and rice because they make me want to be better than I am today. Yes, Anne Rice. I remember twenty years ago reading a sentence by Anne Rice in particular in one of her novels. It was in Ramsey's The Damned, and I remember thinking, um, if I ever was a writer, that I wanted to make sure that I was going to climb inside the skin of the character that I was writing so that I had distinctly different voices. And the, the sentence that did it for me was when she was writing a, uh, Ramsey's the damned, it, the, he said, well, why wouldn't it be this way? The land is mine. I'm paraphrasing, but it was so regal and it was so imperial, but it was exactly the way he would have spoken. And it was uh-huh. so radically different from the other characters in the book that there was no question that, I, I imagine myself being in a room where he walked in, and I would have thought only an idiot wouldn't realize he was a king. And she imparted that with one sentence. And so yep. these are the little things I've, I've carried with me, and I never forgot it. And I thought, okay, so I need to have more than – you can't read a book and say, oh, Terry wrote this, and every character sounds like Terry. Because, I'm number one, I'm not that interesting. And number two, I don't have that much to say, but the characters have a lot to say. So, and they stay so in your head all those, the time. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I actually one of the best things I've that is greatest inventions ever is um, my voice notes on my phone, where I can jot down, you know, verbally jot down little bits of uh, dialogue and things like that that come to me throughout the day. 
so that there's always something to write. But saving it is, to me, even more important. What I found interesting, and, and again, we go back to both of our love of history, is you said that if you want to find a villain, go to history. If you want to find a hero, go to history. Because since the dawn of time, since Adam and Eve, there's been a hero and there's been a villain. Yes. What heroes and villains. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're in the same skin. That's true. Um the moral ambiguity of uh, I don't I'm just throwing out if you look at people throughout history like Alcibiades or um you know anybody that burned bright like a comet and you look at them Alexander the Great people like that um Boudica you know you look at these people and uh they are they're real humans. I mean, they're flesh and blood humans, and I'm sure that they've been lionized throughout the years. But there is a lot of meat on the bone if you're looking for a villain. I, I mean, I, I looked, I looked for villains, and uh, I think half, I'm half Polish. My grandparents are from Poland, um, and so the the concept of uh, villainy in that area of the world is quite different. Um, they have a unique outlook on life. And so I sought villains from that area and actually used two or three people who are historical figures from there as villains. But I can go, you know, I mean, you love history too. You can't Mm -hmm. turn around without hitting a villain. And the same can be said for heroes. Um, There are plenty of them out there. They do get swept under a little bit because we tend to be obsessed with the bad, I think, Um, and we're saturated with it. So you might have to dig a little bit, but there's plenty of heroes too. And and sometimes the heroes come in the most unlikely places. Just as a side note, when I wrote um, A Voice from the Grave, the heroes were not the generals. The heroes were the prisoners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And well, it's a, you know, it's a and, historical I mean, fiction. And, and sure. people that what, are what's nameless. What's the setting on that? The Civil War. Oh, okay. Andersonville. Okay. Hey, have, you ever been, have you ever toured any of the uh, battle sites? Oh, Gettysburg, Andersonville, yeah. the prison at Anderson, Gettysburg, Fredericksburg. Oh, yeah. The one, that, the one that had the most impact on me was Shiloh. When I went to Shiloh and I saw the cataclysmic stupidity of it, in terms of positioning and charging across a peach orchard in wool uniforms in 80-some-odd-degree temperatures and just thinking to myself, there is just no amount of heroism that can describe what happened and the, and the senseless loss, oh, just the sense of loss that permeated that, that peach orchard. I remember it still, and that was 15 years ago that I was there. I got that feeling at Gettysburg. I mean, at, yeah. at, um, and at Gettysburg, yeah, when we went and we drove through and you had all the different battles, oh, yeah. it, it was the, the totals. I told my husband, I said, I don't, I don't feel a depression. I feel a sense of sorrow and of unnecessary loss. Yes. It just permeates the entire area and wraps itself around you like a wet 
coat. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's a lot to be said for preserving. I'm a huge proponent of preserving the past. I don't think that we can ignore our mistakes. I think that ignoring your mistakes is is the cultural equivalent of sticking your fingers in your ears and saying neener, neener. Um, and I just, I don't agree with it because I have to, I mean, I have students that weren't alive when nine 11 happened. Um, and culturally, you know, if I ask my, my grandparents and even my great grandparents were alive, um, well into my later in my life for them, um, Pearl Harbor was uh-huh. the defining moment. And then for, you know, and then I asked my mom and she said the day Kennedy was shot. And then yep. for me, as a little boy, when the men walked, you know, when I watched the Apollo missions going up, um, and then the day the shuttle blew up, and these these events that are, you know, imprinted on our, our cultural DNA, you know, we carry them. Well, I've got a lot of young students who 9-11 happened before they were born, and they're getting it secondhand already. And I'm thinking the probably the three most important words I can teach them in history is lest we forget. Um, I don't want them to. I want them to not necessarily saturate themselves with it, but certainly be close enough to it that they don't forget. Because once they forget, then it becomes unimportant. Then it becomes unimportant. Then it's repeated. No, it is. It becomes plausible. When you when you don't have a fresh memory of something, it becomes plausible. It, it, the the impossible and the cataclysmically stupid becomes not just plausible, then it becomes probable. And we don't Very. need to do that again. Yeah. Um, I mean, history, like I said, villains and heroes, well, we, we've got plenty of mistakes. Uh, now, there are triumphs, too. I'm not, I'm not negative by nature. Um, I'm actually an optimist. I think that there, for every bad thing that's happened, I can find heroic and charming and uplifting events that occur on a daily basis. Um, but I don't like to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of history for the simple fact that we are just dumb enough to do things over again. Um, and, I, and I'm using myself anecdotally. You know, I developed cultural amnesia regarding for years I would do the same things, and I'd say, gosh, what, how did this, how did this go did sideways? It? Oh, that's right, because I didn't remember last August. <laughs> so. I didn't learn from my mistakes. Exactly. And, and, you can't teach me. And, and so- <laughs> And what can we say? We're Southerners. So oh, yeah. oh, let's, talk, let's talk about, because I went on your, your website, and you write about witches, and witches are my favorite because I, I, I are one. Oh, okay. So I want to talk about the books now. Because we've teased them sure. long enough, and the people are, are going to go look up your books, and then they're going to forget the show. And no, y'all cannot go now. You've got to wait till the show's over because you've got to learn things. So <laughs> you write fantasy. You write about witches. Why? Uh, well, I write sci-fi, fantasy, horror, post-apocalyptic. Um, I'm all over the map. I write about – I think it starts for me with the characters. I liked the – I, witches are complicated. They're complicated and elegant and funny, and they're all kinds of different things. But I like the idea that for for witches to even exist, we have to, you know, you go back in history, 
1500 years, 1600 years to a time when sort of the church began to war against women, right? And that's a really serious response um, where they took women who were considered healers and they turned them into the crone, the hag, the green-skinned woman with them. Okay, well, that's the serious, that's the scholar part. The fun part is that I was thinking to myself, I was like, okay, I really like the idea of a kitchen witch. A kitchen witch is somebody who is, you know, a woman who practices witchcraft at home out of the joy in her heart and out of a family responsibility and this carries it with her as this kind of history. And then I started thinking about what if you take a witch and you give her a really ordinary job. So she works in a diner. So she's, and she's obsessed with waffles, which is where like Carly and I are kind of alike. And then I, and then it just kind of took off from there. And I said, because I'm over six feet tall. So, and my mom was five feet tall. And my mom had short girl problems, and I used to laugh watching my mom. You know, I used to do things like hide her stool. She had this little oh, kitchen stool, and I'd hide it. And, she'd, and I was just beginning to like you. I'm 4'11", and I was just beginning to <laughs> yeah. Okay, mom, my mom was, was exactly five feet tall. And so I'd, we'd, and I watched that, the kind of the hilarity of her life, you know, where she just kind of sailed through life at five feet. And I, so I put all these qualities together. In Carly, and then we have a like I have all kinds of critters, animals. Um, so I gave Carly this giant judgmental cat because all cats are judge, you know, they're all judgmental. They um, are. And oh yeah, they are. Yes, absolutely, Carly. Every time Carly comes back into her house after fighting monsters or bad guys or whatever, um, she has to go through what we call the dais of judgment, where Gus, his name's Gus, he sits there and kind of glares at her. And he glares at her because his food bowl, you know, is it's been 10 seconds since she filled it. And he only eats tuna out of the can that's been drained and all these things. And I get all kinds of emails from people and they're like, oh, my God, do you know my cat? And I said, well, yes, because I know cats. Um, so I think Carly, Carly seems real and she just happens to be a witch. But her witchcraft and everything is a family responsibility that's several hundred years old and she has a covenant and her covenant is to protect the town of halfway and that's where all the stories come from from that tension with the covenant and like i said i'm never going to run out of bad guys so you know i'm going to keep her busy for a while (laughs) well i saw that and i said oh yes i'm gonna have to go and 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 collect those books because (laughs) I love them. Well, thank you. And then you have the fearless. What is the the fearless looks? The, the book covers are killer. Oh yeah, yeah. That, oh, okay. My first of all, let me give credit where credit's due. Um, my cover artist for that is Amalia Amy. She's Romanian, mm. and I published my my first book was The Forest Bull, and um, it's the tagline is Three Lovers, Two Demons, One Problem. And I, and I asked a few questions like, okay, I know South Florida. That's where I grew up. So I'm going to put demons in South Florida, and I'm going to have this triad of demon hunters hunt them, but I'm going to have them involved in a relationship together that is all the struggles of family and all the relationships um, to see if I can keep them stable in the face of what is clearly – a very unstable life, which is, you know, hunting immortals, you know, these immortals that don't just want them dead. They want them really dead. And so that's what, that was my first idea. And my wife, my darling wife read the first, she's 
way smarter than me, and she has multiple degrees, and she read the first paragraph, and she said, you know, this isn't terrible. It doesn't suck as much as I thought it was going to, and I said, I've won, <laughs> so um, so it kind of steamrolled from there and just blew up with these hist- – I bring in a lot of history, and I like to think that it's funny while being a little bit grim. It's a little more gritty. Let's put it that way. I think I have found another favorite author. T- that would tell be me. Terry. That would be Terry Maggard. <laughs> okay. I'm serious. Look <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at these in A Bride of Salt and Stars, The, the Waking Serpent, Mask of the Swan, The Forest Bull, Call of Shadows, and The Fearless. No, ladies and gentlemen, y'all can't go. No, you got to wait. Then you have Heartborn. What is that? Oh one? yeah, that's that. Um, okay, that was that's a series that got started. That is YA epic fantasy with angels, um, but not angels in the sense that not biblical angels. I, I got. I actually had a dream uh, that came from a dream. I woke up and started writing at like four o'clock in the morning, I think it was. And I just asked the question, um, there's a 17-year-old girl named Livy, and she has spent her entire life needing a heart. And I asked the question, if she gets a heart, where does it come from if it's not from a human? And the other question I asked was, how do I turn her into a queen? And it's a dystopian, apocalyptic angel story that the closest thing I can tell you is it's like the sixth sense meets dystopian angels. And I was, I'm just obsessed with the concept of what happens to life on earth if you can't live on earth. And so it's so many things, but basically it's her seeking a heart and getting it from someplace that is going to be the ultimate sacrifice. And because I'm a dad now, I've got a nine year old son that I think the sun rises and sets on. And I love my wife and I love my, family and it changes your attitude about what you think the concept of sacrifice is and so Livy is this living embodiment of how far are you going to go for love um and at the and i actually i'm going to i don't want this to come across as bragging but a friend of mine has a disability and she read it and she said i'm so glad that you made it like she wasn't made of glass because she's not she's she needs a heart. She's not made of glass. Um, and I'm very proud of that one. And the first two, actually, the audiobooks are coming out. But I really love her, and I like where she's going as a character. And then you've got the second in the series, Moondiver. You've got it coming Moonborn. out in April. Coming out in uh, her, um, April. Oh, it's already out. It's already oh, is out. it? Oh, yeah. Heartborn, says- Moonborn. And Spellborn. Spellborn will be out in 2019. So, um, yeah, I like I like where she's going very much. Um, and I, I actually like the world. The world kind of got away from me a little bit. I, <laughs> I realized by the second book. Form? It did. It did. It grew legs. It, it grew <laughs> ten legs. <laughs> so... Um, I well, hadn't anticipated. It's like the starfish that just keeps growing legs. So, but, but see, that's what happens in our world, though. Terry is is oh, the yeah. it, it, this spinoff happens, and then this spinoff happens, and then 
the voices in our head are saying, hey, hey, I'm over here. What are you going to do with me? And it's a character usually that is, starts out as a secondary or a third or a fourth character, and then it just pops this little head up and says, oh, wait, hey, me, me, I'm next. Hey, you. <laughs> and it won't shut yeah. up. Yeah, that's, and, yes. But for, um, I've got a 23-year-old succubus hooker named Delphine, and she she got away from me. And the first thing that I had her do was get, you know, where she became con- concerned with her soul, where she started to say, I don't want to do this. I need to save my soul. And then she met a, uh, a good-hearted priest who decided she was worth saving, and now I actually – she'll end up getting her own book. I mean there's no way she can't because she's just no. – she's taken on this richness and texture that makes her um, – and she's a little bit snarky in the sense like a – like a a grand a grand dame from a um, from an antebellum mansion. She's got that whole Alabama feel to her, with you know the bless your heart and I like her attitude a lot. Um, so as she kept getting deeper and richer as a character, I I came to the realization, yeah, she's going to have her own thing. Now I, I got to clarify because we we you know we're heard in over a hundred countries. So if if our list, the person that's listening to it is not from the South. They're not going to understand the oh, bless right, your heart yeah. thing. Because, ladies oh, yeah, and gentlemen, yeah. in the South, bless your heart can mean one or two things. And I'm thinking yeah. in, in her case, her bless your heart is a total insult because it oh, yes, can be very an much insult. So. It's <laughs> like uh, the, the northern equivalent would be, oh, my gosh, it's so brave of you to wear that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know? There you go. Yeah, that's the northern equivalent of it. You know, they don't say, "Oh, bless your heart." You know, like you're just struggling. No, that it's 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 certainly not a good. It's not a compliment. Oh my! Hurry up and get that one written so I can read it because you you've got me uh-huh. hooked now. <laughs> you have. Got, in fact, I want to launch it on this show. So, will you launch I it? I actually, I've got. Th- this is going to be my in terms of productivity. I have two new series starting this year, and so this year I'll, I'll have written four. I'll have four books, uh, four novels, and three short stories, etc. Um, but um, well, you you write, so you know you get better at it. It's a muscle. Uh-huh. You know, As you, you the go, more you yeah. use it, the sure, and you challenge yourself to get better. But you just get better at it because you understand what you're doing. And and you're not going to believe this. But we are running out of time. Wonderful. That was delightful. (laughs) (laughs) He's saying wonderful, so he's bored. (laughs) No, I'm glad. I I would rather have plenty to say for another day than than have awkward pauses like we were um, sitting across from each other glaring. (laughs) (laughs) But see, we... You and I have so much in common with our love of history and our love of of oh, witches yeah. and 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 villains. And will you come back? Oh, I'd love to. We didn't even get to talk about dragons or giraffes. So I know. I'd love to. Yeah. Okay, so I'm thinking October, November. Absolutely fantastic. You should have a couple of books out by then. Um. Oh man, I'm rolling. Yeah, absolutely. I- uh, let's see, right, April so, and then September I've got. So I'll have three more by that. All right. So when I get out from here, I'll send you some dates. So tell the folks where you can be found 
So when um, when we close the sure. show, ladies and gentlemen, not before. So where can you be found, and where can your books be found? <laughs> um, I'm on Amazon, and all my titles are in Kindle Unlimited. So um, all of my books are in audio. Um, over the next four weeks, I have four new audio books coming out in the Halfway Witchy series by the excellent Erin Spencer, who is just magnificent. I can't say enough good things about her. Um, let's see. TerryMaggart.com. You can snoop me there or find me on Twitter because I'm always yapping on Twitter complaining about something. Um, and I'm at uh, Audible.com as well. So pretty much anywhere you want to find me. And, uh, and stalk me on face, uh, Facebook as well. I always talk back to everybody on Facebook. So Except when I'm, I'm trying to, to get his information for the show and then he has brain farts and forgets. But that's okay. We got him now. He's mine now. <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no worries. No worries. And I won't even say bless your heart. <laughs> Thank you. I heard it, though. I know it was there. I know it was unsaid. <laughs> See, ladies and gentlemen, you never know what's going to happen on this show. I love my guests. They are the ones that, that my guests and, and all of you listeners are what make this show successful. So, Remember this when you get up in the mornings. Don't just feel special. Be special because fleeting feelings are fleeting, and if you just feel special, you will never be special. The difference between who you are today and who you want to be next week is what you do today. So if you want to be somebody different tomorrow, then you need to change your way of doing things. If you want to achieve greatness, please stop asking permission because nobody's going to give it to you because they want you to stay down in the gutter with them. If you want to achieve greatness, just go out and do it. And you don't have to be an astronaut or the president of the United States. You can be great in your everyday life just by being you. Wake up and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am special, I am great, I am unique, I am wonderful. It works. Your smile is your logo. Your personality is indeed your business card. And how you leave others feeling after having had an experience with you, ladies and gentlemen, that is your trademark. And when you're at the end of your days and you're dying and people ask if you have any regrets, you can say, I made one person's day. Because people will forget your name. They will forget what you look like. They will even forget what you're wearing. But they will never, ever forget how you made them feel. So remember that when you're out and about in your daily life, and I hope that all of you, as my listeners and my guests, when you leave this show, feel wonderful because that is my intent. I want every one of you to know that you are special to me, and without you, this show would be nothing. Terry, I want to thank you so, so much for, for coming on the show and spending an hour with and Thank you. This for was an absolute pleasure. You are quite welcome, and I can't wait for us to do it again. I'm getting you some dates. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I accept. I hope just go ahead and work with this. I accept. Just remember okay, those two words. Okay, there you go. You <laughs> heard it first here, ladies and gentlemen. He accepts. 
Don't hang up when the show goes dark because I have some instructions for you. But, ladies and gentlemen, join us next Wednesday night when we do a special show on Valentine's Night on cyberbullying and domestic abuse. We will have some special guests who will help me carry the show, and we're going to run this show for an hour and a half because it is a very, very important subject. I cannot think of a better night to do it than Valentine's. So until Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, I am your host, Ron Mason, on Off the Chain with Terry Maggart, and we're saying good evening. Okay, we're off the air, but everything we say goes into the archived portion. It's like the outtakes of a movie and people be able to hear oh, it. Oh, okay, I don't sure. Care. But what sure. I wanted to tell you is when, when we get off from here, the show will archive. As soon as it finishes archiving, I'm going to put the link on my page. I am going to tag you so that okay. you can share it on your page wherever you want to share it. Use it as a marketing tool. Tomorrow... Okay. I will put it up on SoundCloud, MixCloud, Podcast.com, Spreaker, and Podcast Garden. I will tag you in those links as well because we are heard on iTunes and YouTube, Stitcher, FM.com, TuneIn Radio, those five podcasts. Plus, we are now on iTunes, I mean, iHeartRadio under podcast. Very cool. I'm so I'm bummed. I forgot. I was listening to you talk about Australia. I went to uh, Australia was for me my transformational event in my life. It was really? um, oh very much so. Yeah, my mom had just died. I had gotten divorced. I had had all these you know terrible things happen, and I went. I I ran away to Australia and um, had this epiphany. You know, just this enriched life and came back and met my wife and had this amazing family and all these things. And it's kind of like a, a what I call a liminal moment in my life. Um, I have lifetime friends that are down there, and um, it's just amazing. Um, the the perspective it gave me, and tr- for me, travel also. Like I have a lot of – traveling for me fills up my tank and lets me write furiously. <laughs> so, And you know. see – what you do is when I send you this this show, let your friends in Australia know. Oh, I will. Oh, I I absolutely will. Yeah, they're wonderful. They they support me. They're really cool, really cool. See, great things are happening to you, my friend. I have thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> this show. I can't wait for Thank us you to get very back much. together for November. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so I'll send you. Um, and I, I don't know what can I do for you. How can I can I do anything to help you? You've been wonderful, and I can I do you have giveaways or anything or? You can promote this show. And well, PM I'm going to do that. Your, and um, send me your email. Well, I have your email address, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you my two historical novels. One is set in 1888 in Whitechapel. Oh, really? And the other one is set at Andersonville Prison. Oh, my God. Andersonville is between that and Fort Pillow. When I teach about the animosity, I use I call it the triangle of mistakes. I, uh-huh. I use Fort Pillow, Andersonville, and Sherman's March to the Sea. Well, you might want to use a voice from the grave because it is filled. It, oh. the his, 
the the historical writings in that novel are real. I described Andersonville and and the the devastation and how it became. You know, it was the end of the rail line. Sherman was blowing up the yeah. rail line. Oh, and yeah. all of that, Sherman both all sides. of that is in it. So I will, I will send you um, the Kindle edition, and then if you want some books for school, let me know. Oh, very cool! Yeah. Oh, thank you. Because what I'll do is, yeah, is I'll, have my, I'll have my publisher get them to get wholesale pricing. Okay, very cool. Very cool. Once again, those two words, I accept. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, my friend, uh, let me get off from here and get you sure. some dates. And once again, thank you so, so much. Yeah, this was this hour has absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. All right, chat soon. Tell your wife thank you for sparing you for an hour, and I appreciate <laughs> I <will>. her so <laughs> much. <too. laughs> I'll let her know. Okay. All right, darling. We'll talk later. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. Goodbye-bye.